Hey y'all, I got into a black oral history program, which is so cool. I am super excited about it. And I want to bring that excitement to the show. I'm going to be at it for a while. It's a pretty big project. So I don't know what it's going to look like long term with this show, but I'm starting right now with this episode during my first week of training, talking to my instructor, Elisa Ray Funderburg, who's an oral historian for the Margaret Walker Center at Jackson State University because her professional experience in oral history combined with doing work of collecting her own family history and stories led to a really interesting interview about how to get started doing family history and what the rewards and challenges of doing that are. It does feel like a lot to take on doing family history work, but we're going to break it down a little bit. And this is my first ever in-person interview on this show, so it might sound and feel a little bit different, but it was cool. Let's get into it. What was the value of doing family history work, particularly for Black people? Well, I think that one of the most important things about knowing yourself and your identity is knowing where you come from. Um, and family history is a large part of that. I always say, like, know thyself, whether it's related to my work or therapy, relationships. I feel like you can't really get anywhere in life if you don't fully understand who you are and where you're coming from. So I think that's the value in family history, um, first and foremost. Yeah, I should clarify definition-wise, when we're talking about family history, it's something different kind of than like genealogy. It's mm-hmm. less about who was your great-great-granddad and more about getting the life stories of the people who are around now. Yeah, I mean, as an oral historian, like, I guess maybe you would say family oral history, because genealogy would involve, I think, a lot more of a deep dive into the archives, um, looking for specific dates and things like that. Whereas for me, family history is maybe a little less solid, a little less concrete, but it's it's really knowing the stories that make up who we are on both sides of my family. Definitely. And that's That's always been kind of what I'm interested in because stories are what connect us. The struggles that have gone across generations and the people who have defined more than just like names, but Mm -hmm. stories are very accessible. Okay, so let's get into a little bit of method now that we know some of the importance of it, because it is the kind of thing that seems kind of daunting, especially if you have a big family. Like, who do you like how to start? So when you started approaching family history, who did you start with? Did you like, should you start with like the people you're closest to, maybe the oldest person? How did you do it? I started with my mom. She's the first person in my family interviewed, mostly because of my relationship with her. And I was new to doing oral history interviewing at the time. And so I felt safer in starting with her. But I think if I were to do it again, I would start with her again, because it kind of helps to work backwards with the information I know about myself. And she's a large part of that. And then allow her to fill in the gaps that I don't know about her life. And then she kind of was able to also fill in gaps about the lives of the family members that came before her and who she knew. And then I didn't really get to interview her parents, unfortunately. They've both passed away. But I have 
really spent a lot of time um, in my childhood talking to them. So when I interviewed my mom, a lot of the stories that I'd heard from my grandparents like clicked into place and, and made sense, or the details were a little bit richer and I could understand them better because sometimes when your grandparents are telling you stories as a kid, there are parts that are left out, right? Um, so yeah, I started with my mom and I've, you know, talked to my dad but I haven't interviewed him yet. I interviewed his parents, his mother and his father, rather recently. I think it was a little over a year ago. And I've been in the process of transcribing those interviews, which is harder than I thought it would be. Wow. So you can really start with any... My great-grandmother's still alive, so it's like, oh, maybe I should go to her first. But also, yeah, the people who are most accessible to you could also... I mean, I think there's always a risk, right, that someone who's here today won't be here tomorrow. And I think we can all agree that that risk is higher for those that are older. And so had I had the opportunity to interview my grandparents, I probably would have jumped on it a lot faster. My grandfather passed away before I started doing oral history, but my grandmother, Pat, she was still around. And so I had taken to recording her more when she would talk, but I hadn't like found a time and fixed a time to sit down and tell her, okay, we're doing an oral history interview. Um, and so I do regret that. I would start with wherever you're most comfortable because you don't want to rush to do your great aunts or great, great grandparents interview and not know what you're doing and then not ask the right questions. And then sure, I mean, you recorded something and that's great. Um, that's never going to be a waste of time, but it might be that you didn't get the story that you wanted to get because you didn't know the questions to ask. That's a good shift to what did your like family history interviews look like? What kind of questions were you asking? Yeah. Um, so I started with the very basic same types of biographical information questions that I would ask a perfect stranger, like when and where were you born? Tell me who your parents were, who your grandparents were, and that sort of thing. Not because like I didn't know the answers to those questions, but because I had thought of my recording as a historical record for someone else who might not know. And then it also just set up my mom or my grandparents to kind of rewind the clock and tell their story from the beginning. But then when it got really to the meat and bones of it, I used facts that I already knew about the lives of the people that I was interviewing to kind of, I guess, structure the questions that I wanted to ask to get to the stories maybe that I've heard before or heard reference to before, but needed more detail or wanted just that story in full on the record. So I asked questions about their schools that they went to. I asked questions about the foods that they ate. I asked questions about different practices. Uh, for my grandfather, he grew up in the country in um, South Carolina, and he was telling me a lot about his mom, what he could remember, because she passed away when he was 12. And one of the things he could remember was, you know, like as kids running around the country, they didn't wear shoes very often. And he got a cut on his foot really, really bad. And his mom didn't take him to a hospital. I don't even think that that was like a thing that people were doing back then. 
at least, I mean, Black people. Uh, so his mom, um, he said, treated him. And a part of the treatment was like wrapping his foot in spider webs. And the spider webs, the cobwebs, um, were like a, a sterile, clean way to stop the bleeding and act as, you know, just as a bandage. And apparently that was a really common trick. So, yeah, just basic questions like, tell me about your mom, lead to learning about all these different practices. I asked about their friends, like who who they were friends with in school, who they met when they moved to New York, all sorts of things, really. Mainly, I just followed up on whatever it was that they were saying and kept digging and digging and digging for more. There's a way that we all kind of know the people who raised us, the family that's been important in our lives. But when you ask these type of questions, you get to know them in like a very different way. Mm -hmm. So how did your relationship with the people you've interviewed, has that like changed your relationships with your family? Yeah, I mean, I think relationships change all the time as we grow older, as time passes, as they grow older. Relationships shift and adjust um, and change because we change as individuals. But I do think that interviewing my mom, for instance, really kind of opened my eyes a lot to potential reasons for why things are the way they are or why behaviors exist or why certain fears exist. And so it gives me a little bit more empathy and grace in, in treating her or dealing with her than probably existed prior to interviewing her. For instance, she's afraid of like water, of swimming, not because she can't swim, but she's convinced she can't swim. Me, my, my father, my brother, we've all seen her. She can float, she can backstroke, and she's fine. But, you know, that fear persists. And I always thought that that was like ridiculous. And after interviewing her, I'm like, okay, no, I, I get it. Like, if you're afraid, you're afraid. And no amount of logic is going to fix that. The same for my my grandfather. He's always been a little bit like short-tempered, easily uh, riled kind of guy. And I think learning more about the struggles he went through as a child, losing his dad before he was like even two and losing his mother by the time he was 12 and moving first from South Carolina to New York as a baby. And then when his dad died, having to relocate with his mom because he couldn't afford to stay in New York anymore and go back to South Carolina and then when his mom died, having to go to New York to live with one of his siblings, his older siblings, and then not actually being able to live with them, but having to live in a boarding house at like 12 and 13 years of age is a lot. And so, you know, not that it excuses, you know, bad behavior, but I think I understand a little bit more like why family is so important to him and why he was so strict and harsh about instructing us in how to be self-reliant because he didn't want us to feel like we couldn't handle the world and why faith is so important to him and, and religion and God. Learning about their backgrounds has kind of just changed and broadened my perspective. That's amazing. And it also, from what you're saying, it sounds like it really helps you see them as like fuller people because 
I mean, like, I know I see my mom as my mom, but she she's a daughter. She was someone's student at some point. She has been people's best friends before. Like, it sounds like they brought into who they were to you. Yeah. We all live many lives. We all have many different roles. My mom was in love, you know, before she met my dad. And that's something, you know, to think about. Like, that's more like me because I, too, have been in love and out of love and had my heart broken. And the same thing like with my grandparents, they had other dreams and aspirations that maybe didn't come to pass. They've had fears and failures. And yeah, they are many things to many other people more than just what it is that they they are to me. So um, I think logically I always understood that, but it takes on a little bit more meaning once you actually know very clearly what those other lives were. That's powerful. I know I personally have like talked to the elders in my family about stories of their lives, but I've never kind of sat down and recorded the things that they say. Mm. So what is the value of like recording it and keeping it? None of our memories are perfect. So having a record for one thing means that you can refer back to it. For me, the usefulness of recording these stories also is that I can share them. Um, I can share them with my cousins and other relatives. So for instance, the interviews I did with my grandparents are in a Google drive that I've shared. The transcripts that are in progress are there so my cousins can read them. And if they have their own questions, they can ask my grandparents those questions themselves. And I think also for future generations, for future researchers, having that record, having it saved somewhere that it's accessible, um, whether that's like at a local library or a church or a university or like an oral history center, that's also, I think, an additional value that might not be a first or even second priority, but it is something to consider. For me, the main reason to have them recorded is to be able to go back um, and reference them when I need to find out more. I get that, because as much as I'm like, I want to know my grandma's stories, my great-grandma's stories, their great-great-grandchildren will probably want to hear them too. So it makes sense to preserve them for the future. Yeah. And then there's just so much you can do with it once you have that. Um, So like I was thinking about creating some sort of like audio visual element um, just because like I like playing around with sound and testing, you know, my personal skills. But it's great content. And we live in a world where we're always generating content one way or the other. So why not make that something that's like educational and that's about you, about your family and about who you are? Yeah, that makes sense. Just to zoom in a little bit more. Someone listening to the show is like, I'm going to go and they interview someone close to them in their family. What do you recommend them do with what they've collected? Once you've done your recording, I mean, I first recommend like reviewing it as an oral historian, like best ethics, best practices would be to have the person you interviewed also review it. And that's not just because like you want to respect them and and what they're putting on the record, but it's also very useful for them to be able to check themselves because when we're having conversations, we're not always like double checking the facts, obviously. And sometimes it takes a minute for you to sit with something to really process it and remember. So like, misremembering happens, but having a chance to review the recording 
will allow them to correct any mistakes. So that's one thing. Then there's always transcription, um, which can be super useful, especially if you wanted to like cross-reference multiple oral histories at once. That's a lot harder to do. Listen to this audio, then listen to that audio, then go back to this audio, right? Um, It's a lot easier to do with paper or, you know, a written word. And then after transcribing it, yeah, I would, I would share it. That's what I would do. I don't do anything just for myself. I have a younger brother whom I love dearly. And I know that we're of similar minds when it comes to like family and who we are. And I know he would find that equally as important and equally as interesting. So of course, I'm going to share with him. And I would recommend that too, because the more people who know what you're doing in your family, like the more chance you have of them being able to contribute as well. So um, yeah, that's probably what I would do immediately after recording. Do you have any plans to put what you're recording into an archive of some sort? Yeah, I've thought about it. I'm not sure yet what would be the best archive for um, my family's like stories, just because we're so uh, spread out across the country. So just thinking about different institutions that would look for records like mine, families like mine, histories like mine, um, where I work is in Jackson, Mississippi. And while the Margaret Walker Center does specialize in African-American oral histories, most of our collection is about Mississippi. But I'm not in a rush right now to find the right archive. And I would imagine that for other people, it might be a little bit easier. Uh, Something like a church. Churches are usually really good about keeping records. And even if they don't necessarily have the capacity to like store audio files or whatever the case may be, they might have a relationship with an institution or be interested in creating a relationship with another institution to also preserve the stuff that they've already got saved in their archives. That's a good idea. Are you still doing this work, collecting your family's history? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a very, very, very on the side thing. For instance, a couple of months ago, I went to North Carolina to visit my brother and my grandparents. On one of the days that we were there, my grandfather was talking about, you know, the land that his family used to have out in South Carolina. And he was just describing it. And I was like, well, why don't we just go? Like, none of us have plans today. We're sitting around the kitchen table. Let's get up and like go down there. Um, He was talking about the church. And I was like, we can go visit the church. He was like, oh, no, it's so far. And I was like, well, how far is it? He was like, well, like 30 minutes. And I was like, okay, um, we can drive 30 minutes there, hang out for an hour and drive 30 minutes back and it'll still be morning. <laughs> and when I put that into perspective for him um, and I really like told him that I really wanted to go, we did. And when we got there, there was an extended family member who actually works on the church's like grounds, the graveyard. Um, And he was maintaining the graves and we stopped him and introduced ourselves. And he gave us like this wealth of knowledge. I like paused and asked him, I was like, hey, is it okay if I record this? And I just recorded it on my phone. 
he was telling us all of these stories about the various people who were buried in the graveyard um, and how the Funderburks came to be in that particular area, um, about the tensions between the white Funderburks and the black Funderburks, um, about land that had been stolen and all sorts of things. It was like Hatfields and McCoys, this drama he was weaving for us. So yeah, in some ways, the work is ongoing. It's just not something that I'm like sitting down at uh, my calendar planning out like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that um, when and where. It's just kind of like when the opportunity arises. But I do plan on interviewing my dad. That's something I want to do soon. It's just, you know, sometimes it just never feels like the right time. And I know it's going to take a longer time doing his interview, but I kind of probably just need to bite the bullet and start somewhere, even if it's just like part one out of five. But yeah, it's definitely going to be ongoing. Um, My grandmother has a bunch of older sisters who are still alive. My mom's side of the family, even though her mom and dad have passed, um, she still has aunt and uncles that I could talk to and interview and probably should. It's kind of a lifelong type of thing. And that's good to note that like it's not going to be the same experience with every family member. I can definitely think of family members it'll probably take more effort to like pull the good stuff out of them. Yeah. Sometimes you kind of like have to prime folks. So like I had to prime my grandparents and like tell them like it's okay that you don't like remember everything. Like this is oral history. Like it's not, you know, going to be on a TV show or something. Um, Having conversations with them in advance and letting them know why you're doing what you're doing and what it is that you're hoping to get out of it um, can help to kind of set the scene, set the mood, set the intention. um, So it's a little less nerve wracking for them and a little easier for you. Is there anything else you want to say about the experience of doing your family's history? One of the things that really excites me about doing oral histories with my family members is the way that it does coincide with the existing genealogy research that has been done in my family. I'm not a genealogist, and I haven't really delved into that work personally, but on both my mom and my dad's side of the family, there are family members who are really into it. My dad's side of the family, the Funderburks, have a family reunion every year down in in North Carolina. And so that part of the family has this huge family tree. It's like on multiple cardboard, you know, like those science fair boards. (laughs) So multiple boards. And the guy who's basically in charge of it has actually like transferred all of that information to Ancestry.com. So like I can look on my phone on the Ancestry.com app and see my entire Funderburg family, family tree back to slavery. So that's really cool. And when I'm hearing stories and hearing names referenced, I'm like, okay, I can find that name. And that excites me. Personally, like I've used my Ancestry.com account to make my own family tree that kind of has all the four branches. And that is great for like starting conversations as well. And it's just good for me. Like one of the great things that came out of making my Ancestry.com family tree was that when I was thinking about Christmas gifts for my grandma, I was like, you know, 
She always tries to call everyone on their birthday and send birthday cards. I can like make a calendar, like a 12 page calendar that has the birthdays of all of the family members that are important to her because I actually have that information. It's right here on my cell phone. So me and my dad sat down and came up with like the list of the names of all the people that she would typically call and made that gift and she loved it. As just kind of a wrap-up question, I want to get into like some of the emotions that have come up in mm-hmm. the process of doing family history work. Yeah, um, I think the first one was regret, right, that I hadn't done it sooner, that I hadn't recorded interviews with members of my family that aren't with me anymore. That's still a really strong one for me because like, you're never going to be able to fix that. Other emotions, I mean... There are really like sad and traumatic stories that come up and you can't help but feel that same sadness and same pain when someone you love is telling that story, sometimes for the first time. So that's difficult, especially when you, you're you not just hearing it like the one time in a conversation, but you've recorded it and then you're going to transcribe it. So like you're reliving that too. But ultimately, I think The main emotion for me is really just like peace, especially when I'm like transcribing the oral histories um, and I get something finished or completed, like that sense of accomplishment and peace and just like, okay, I've done a thing is really good. And then being able to share it, there's like a sense of pride in that. Those are the, the main emotions for me. Pride is always like the finishing one. Thank you so much for doing this, for sitting down with me. Yeah, of course. Sure. I'm always happy to share my love of oral history. Yeah, because it definitely, I think even to me, family history has always felt kind of daunting. Like I have a big family, like where to start, what to do, what questions to ask. But you made it feel very accessible. Like just grab whatever like thing you have that has a voice recorder on it and start asking yeah. questions. Yeah, pretty much. Um it's there there are ways you can always do something better but you don't have to be an expert to start um and the more you do it the better you get wow okay i feel ready (laughs) get started thanks so much you're welcome my first ever in-person interview for this show was a great time i hope y'all learned something if you really like this episode or the show definitely tell everyone you know about it Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at We the Black People Pod. And all power to all people, y'all.